Welcome back to the Homestyle MMA Podcast. Sean Van Buren here for episode 21. Shout out to all the listeners or homies checking this out right now. I appreciate all of you. Today we are recapping UFC Fight Night Dern versus Jan. We spent the last few weeks matchmaking each division in the UFC, which was a lot of fun. But today we'll talk about a new segment called Legendary Returns 2023 Edition. Let's start with UFC Fight Night Dern versus Jan, and then we'll dive into what that new segment means to you. So as always, we will start off with our rapid recap. We start off noting that Jessica Penne versus Tabitha Reese was canceled due to a Jessica Penne illness on Friday on the day of weigh-ins, and Maxine Grisham versus Felipe Linz was canceled on fight day Saturday. So that started us off with our prelims, Guido Canetti versus Randy Costa. Canetti brought the fight to Costa early in this one. He used effective leg kicks and timed a leg sweep takedown while Costa threw a front kick. Very well timed. Costa threw a kick. Canetti swept the leg. <laughs> when Randy Costa hit the ground, Guido Canetti jumped on him right away and got a rear naked choke early in round one. He didn't even need to get his leg hooks in to lock in the rear naked choke position. This may have been Randy Costa's last fight on the roster after this performance. Light work for Guido Canetti. I told you last week that this fight would not go the distance, and I didn't take it because the odds were longer than minus 300. Hindsight, I guess I should have just taken it. Julija Stolyarenko versus Chelsea Chandler. Stolyarenko got a takedown and signature armbar attempt within 30 seconds of this fight. Nine of her 10 wins by armbar. Remember that from last week's episode. But... Chelsea Chandler escaped it, flipped the position quickly, got some top position in ground and pound. Chelsea has some good power on the feet and did a great job getting on top during wrestling exchanges. She was more powerful on the feet and on the ground, and that was the big difference maker in this fight. She worked her way up to top mount, unloaded ground and pound to win by TKO in round one. Remember I mentioned to you last week that Chelsea Chandler was a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu practitioner? and I thought that she would handle herself on the ground, which proved to be true. Chelsea Chandler dominated this fight with vicious ground and pound in her UFC debut. Christoph Jotko versus Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen got tripped up while throwing a kick. Jotko jumped on top of him, and he immediately went into his jiu-jitsu. He went straight into a straight arm lock while on the bottom, then into an omoplata. He was flowing quick with the jiu-jitsu, but Jotko flowed equally well and maintained top position. Brendan Allen is a very good jiu-jitsu fighter, but Jotko kept that tight top position pressure. Even still, that is playing with fire when you are fighting Brendan Allen. That only worked for so long as eventually Brendan Allen reversed the position, got on top with half a round remaining, and he went to work on the ground. He locked in a round one rear naked choke submission, three straight finishes to start the night, and relentless jiu-jitsu pressure from Brendan Allen. Joaquin Silva versus Jesse Ronson. This fight started off a bit slow as far as landed strikes. They were both throwing kicks and punches, but the accuracy really wasn't there completely for either guy with this orthodox versus southpaw matchup. When they would land, you could hear that both men carried a lot of power. Loud kicks, hard punches, and what ended up being a fairly empty arena, the sounds of the strikes were very prominent. Eventually, a flying knee by Silva dropped Ronson at the end of round one to end a very closely contested round. Silva, a conventional stance fighter, had a lot of success actually switching to southpaw, and he found the finish in southpaw in round two, 
by TKO. He threw another flying knee from Southpaw that dropped Ronson, and Joaquin Silva got the ground and pound victory. Alexi Olenek versus Elir Latifi. Latifi got a takedown early in this one, and the fight slowed way down. Olenek works very slowly on the ground, trying to set up a submission, being patient, waiting for a mistake, waiting to get positive position. He's a jiu-jitsu fighter. He took his time while he was there. Unfortunately, there was nothing very impactful on the ground in round one, so Latifi took that round fairly easily, just with his simple top control. It was a bit odd of a fight for Olenek. I think that's where he wanted the fight to be. He wanted the fight on the ground, but he didn't do much with that position at all as far as even going for submission attempts. I thought Olenek could have been more aggressive on the feet as well. He's been doing a lot of cardio, and I thought he could have pushed the pace with his striking. Latifi got another takedown in round two, and Olenek still seemed to be content with bottom position and riding out the round, ultimately for a loss. For a heavyweight fight, it was surprisingly boring. I don't think either guy was going to finish the other throughout the whole fight. Latifi just manhandled Olenek to a decision victory. Very odd performance from Alexi Olenek. He never seemed to flip that switch in this fight, and he seemed content to lose on the judges' scorecards. Elir Latifi alluded to a possible retirement after this fight as well in his post-fight press conference in the Octagon. So if so, best of luck to you in the future. John Castaneda versus Daniel Santos was moved to the prelims from the main card. Castaneda landed a huge, big head kick in round one and dropped Daniel Santos. These guys attacked each other right away. Castaneda dropped him again with a right hand once Daniel Santos got back up. It was constant pressure from John Castaneda in round one, and Daniel Santos never stopped battling to recover. All action in the first round is extremely exciting, and Castaneda just poured it on. Santos was barely standing on his feet late in the first round, but he found a way to get to the end of that round. Now, the action continued with round two, but the roles were reversed. Santos really brought the pressure in round two, and he had much more success. Castaneda looked a little tired after going for the finish so hard in round one, and Santos looked like he had all the momentum. Daniel Santos ripped to the body, landed a knee to the head, and finished off John Castaneda in the middle of round two against the cage to finish off an exciting set of prelim fights, and also just an incredibly strong comeback in that fight. Vyacheslav Borshchev versus Mike Davis kicked off the main card. We had high-level strikers going at it with this one for a bit, but this fight went exactly how I told you that it would on last week's episode of the podcast. There were excellent kicks to go along with excellent punches, but then Mike Davis showed his well-rounded game and got an easy takedown in the first round. And like I said on the podcast last week, I pretty much quote, Mike Davis, if you wrestle, you will win. Maybe Mike Davis chimed in and heard because he definitely worked it into his game right away here. Mike Davis had complete advantage in the wrestling and the jiu-jitsu on the ground to get into favorable positions. Borshchev was sharp on the feet in round two. He seemed a bit faster. He was winning most of that round, but Mike Davis just went right back to the well, got another takedown, and took control again. He worked for a head and arm choke and stole round two. Again, Mike Davis, clear advantage on the ground, and that continued with another takedown in round three. Like I said last week, in this fight, wrestling would make the difference, and Mike Davis got the easy victory with complete domination with his wrestling and takedowns. Sadiq Youssef versus Don Shanus. Youssef got the tie clinch. 
He ripped five knees to the body right away as soon as this fight began, and these guys went at each other extremely hard. Yusef switched it to a guillotine choke, pulled guard, and put Shannon to sleep in about 30 seconds. This fight began and ended in 30 seconds. It was wild, extremely fast, ferocious, and Yusef was very efficient and very impressive. He did what he was supposed to do as the huge favorite, and Yusef at this point needs to fight a guy around 6 through 8 in the rankings next at least. I told you last week that this fight would start out very fast, but that I thought Yusef would weather the storm in the early rounds and get the finish late, maybe round 2, round 3. Instead, he had the complete opposite plan. He took no time at all to finish this one, and he had a very impressive 30-second night and nice 30-second payday. Rione Barcelos versus Trevin Jones, another fight that went exactly how I told you that it would on last week's episode of the podcast. Barcelos was the aggressor to start this fight. His kicks looked particularly fast, and he got a nice takedown to start this fight. Trevin Jones is a jiu-jitsu black belt, but Barcelos seemed to do well on the ground in the fight. Like I mentioned last week, I just felt that Barcelos was a little better than Jones at basically every area of MMA. And that seemed to be the case in this fight. He had control on the ground, more output in the striking, quick knees in the clinch. Wherever this fight was going, Barcelos seemed to be a little faster, seemed to be a little stronger, seemed to be a little bit sharper with his technique. Barcelos dropped Jones with a big right hand in round two, and he jumped on top. Trevin Jones just couldn't do anything once on the bottom, and he ate a ton of elbows. Round three was much more of the same, as Ryoni Barcelos was just better than Trevin Jones wherever this fight took place for the decision win. Randy Brown versus Francisco Trinaldo. Randy Brown's length advantages were incredibly impressive to see against Francisco Trinaldo. He pumped the jab frequently which is an excellent strategy. There's so many fighters that have these huge height and reach advantages, and they don't know how to use them effectively. Randy Brown is not one of those fighters. He pumps that jab out, keeps the fight at his distance, at his range, and then he also found a huge right hand in round one, dropped Trinaldo, and was so confident in himself in this fight, he just let Trinaldo stand back up to his feet and did not bother engaging with him on the ground. He was feeling very sharp on the feet, Trinaldo dodged a flying knee and actually caught Randy Brown in the air, lifted, and power slammed him down. Brown scrambled well to get back up to his feet and escape the danger. As much as the first round looked so good for Randy Brown, you can just never count out Trinaldo. He hits hard, he's crafty on the ground, and that's why in this fight we went with over one and a half rounds instead of trying to pick a winner here. I thought the odds were way far off, they should have been a lot tighter, but we saw very clearly. Randy Brown was the favorite for a reason. He understands how to fight with his reach and his height. He's fast. A lot of straight shots at distance. So it's a short point A to point B. Not a bunch of looping shots. Straight shots at distance. Then when his opponents couldn't engage because they couldn't reach him from that distance, he just kept going with it. Kept hitting from range. He could hit and not get hit simply with how long his arms were. Randy Brown added kicks really well in round three to continue to frustrate Trinaldo with how long he was. Trinaldo did knock Randy Brown to the ground in round three with a calf kick, and I think won round three with top control, but at that point it's just too little too late. Randy Brown won the unanimous decision, and that led us to our main event kicking off with Mackenzie Dern versus Yan Zhao Nan. 
Really good fight here for all five rounds. I think what we're learning is regardless of the outcome, Mackenzie Dern is always in a really good fight. She's clearly improved with her striking, including adding some kicks into her arsenal, which we said last week she had to do if she wanted a shot at winning this fight. She had to be sharper with her striking. That being said, Jaunan has excellent movement and made it very tough for Dern to land her strikes, but also to get takedowns. Another thing I told you last week was that while Mackenzie Dern is a great jiu-jitsu specialist, maybe one of the best female jiu-jitsu specialists in the UFC, I thought that Zhao Nan was actually the better wrestler because Mackenzie Dern struggles with completing takedowns. That proved to be the case in this fight as well. Dern was able to pull guard early in round two that made things very interesting. Dern got a surprising omoplata in round two, torqued the crap out of Zhao Nan's shoulder straight into a deep arm triangle, and Zhao Nan was strictly in survival mode. Round two was very close to ending by submission for Mackenzie Dern. That was a very intense round. Zhao Nan, though, proved that she is an absolute warrior on the ground with Mackenzie Dern because she had Zhao Nan in multiple positions in which other fighters would have quit. Shockingly, Zhao Nan did survive, but I scored that round a 10-8 for Mackenzie Dern. What was interesting when round three began was that Mackenzie Dern actually started to look a little fatigued to me, which was surprising because she was almost strictly on offense in round two. I thought Dern fought well on the feet in this fight. She definitely showed some improvements against the highly talented striker in Zhao Nan, but Zhao Nan appeared to be the fresher fighter in round three. Zhao Nan won round four, and Dern took round five. My takeaways are that Mackenzie Dern got much better on the feet, and I think that she could be challenging for the belt maybe in the next two years. Let her continue to grow in the octagon, continue to practice, continue to sharpen those tools with her striking, but she also needs to sharpen her takedown ability. She is one of the most dangerous women on the planet on the ground. But her opponents don't want to fight her there, so she needs to get better at getting the fight to that position. You waste a lot of energy going for takedown attempts when you cannot complete them, so I think she needs to continue to work on her striking, but hopefully she's working on takedowns as well. Hopefully she's not ignoring that because she's so good at jiu-jitsu. There is a difference. Wrestling helps you get people to the ground. Jiu-jitsu helps you keep them there and end the fight. As I've been talking about and mentioning, her takedown accuracy was very low. She had a very high output with the wrestling takedown attempts, but not enough of them actually being completed. For Zhao Nan, we learned that she has the motor to push five rounds. We're not sure if she could do that heading into this fight, and I think that we learned that she absolutely can. We already knew that she could strike very well, and I think we also learned that Zhao Nan can really battle hard on the ground in jiu-jitsu, even if it's just to survive a tough position. Zhao Nan won this fight by majority decision, and what ended up being a pretty good night of fights. A lot of finishes, a lot of great fights, so hopefully you were able to check this one out. Let's go ahead and take a look at our bets. As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. Okay, let's start off with the UFC prelims. As I mentioned earlier, Jessica Penne versus Tabitha Risi fight was canceled, and Maxime Grishin versus Felipe Linz 
we had Felipe Linz as an underdog money line. That was canceled on fight day as well. So we started off with Guido Canetti versus Randy Costa. We had Randy Costa by knockout, minus 175 for a loss. And potentially Randy Costa's last fight in the UFC, I feel like. We'll have to keep an eye on that as the UFC reviews what they want to do with him. Julija Stoliarenko versus Chelsea Chandler. We had Chelsea Chandler money line minus 105 for a win. Christoph Jotko versus Brendan Allen. We took Christoph Jotko money line minus 120 for a loss and was a very impressive win in particular for Brendan Allen. Joaquin Silva versus Jesse Ronson. We did fight to not go the distance, minus 175 for the win. Elir Latifi versus Alexi Olenek. I really believed in Alexi Olenek in this fight. We took him as a money line plus 150 underdog as a homestyle gravy bet. That lost, and to me, Alexi Olenek did not look like himself in that octagon. One of the big losers for us on the night was the John Castaneda versus Daniel Santos fight. John Castaneda, money line minus 186, was a homestyle gravy bet, and a going back for more two-unit bet loss. He almost found that finish in round one. He needed 30 more seconds. The end of round one saved Daniel Santos, and he came out the fresher fighter and chased the finish in round two. For the UFC main card, Mike Davis versus Vyacheslav Borchev. We took Mike Davis, money line minus 175 for a win. Sadiq Youssef versus Don Shanis. We did over one and a half rounds at minus 150 for the loss. Like I said last week, I knew Sadiq Youssef was going to win. I thought he would find the finish late. We took the over in the rounds just in case because minus 150 was a decent number for us, but he got it done in 30 seconds. Ryoni Barcelos versus Trevin Jones. Like I mentioned last week, I'm just not a huge fan of Trevin Jones. I think he needs to be fighting either easy UFC competition or unfortunately for a different organization. So we took Ryoni Barcelos, Moneyline, minus 235 for a homestyle gravy bet and a going back for more two-unit bet win. Randy Brown versus Francisco Trinaldo. We did over one and a half rounds for minus 275. That was another homestyle gravy bet win. And Mackenzie Dern versus Yan Zhao Nan. I told you last week I needed to look at the alternate lines. I told you to check social media on Saturday morning before the fight to let you know what we were going with. I put out on our social media pages that we were going to take over two and a half rounds at minus 130 for a homestyle gravy bet win. I did that because the heart wanted Mackenzie Dern. The brain wanted Zhao Nan. Split the difference. I knew the fight would go long because both warriors, so we just took over two and a half rounds. All in on the weekend for the UFC, we were down 1.91 units. We went 6-5. and five. Still not a great weekend, but we're on the road to recovery here. Our homestyle gravy bets went 3-2 and two for 5 total bets, and our going back for more bets went 1-2. for two. That takes us to the homestyle perfect plate parlay, where we were so close to cashing this plus 144 parlay. We had John Castaneda, Sadiq Youssef, and Roni Barcelos all to win. We lost with John Castaneda being unable to finish that fight in the first round. That wraps up our betting. Let's take a look at verdict and give out some podcast awards. So with verdict, as you could probably tell from the bets we just reviewed, they focus on the main card. We had a pretty good night on the main card. At the last minute, I did change our verdict pick, literally just hours before the fights, from Zhao Nan decision to Dern fifth round submission, which turned out to be a mistake, but it wasn't that costly as we still finished with a silver medal for finishing in the top 40% of predictions. That was the only main card winner outcome that we got wrong. 
I went with my heart instead of my brain, which we all know can get you in trouble. For the Homestyle MMA Podcast Awards, there were no early prelims for this card, so we start with the mac and cheese UFC prelims performance of the night. This was a very difficult pick because there were many impressive wins and finishes on the prelims. Five of the six prelim fights ended by finish. For this, I am going to go with Daniel Santos because he looked finished in round one. He looked done. He was knocked down. He was stumbled. He was barely on his feet. He survived till the end of that round and fought hard for a comeback underdog finish in round two. Now that did ruin, you know, going back for more bet, our homestyle perfect plate parlay. It was a very impressive comeback win. Not a lot of people thought he had a shot in that fight. So the adversity he had to battle through, how he got the win, how he got it done, to me it was all very impressive. But there were many potential winners of the mac and cheese UFC prelims performance of the night award this week. Our chicken and dumplings UFC main card performance of the night. How could you give it to anyone else other than Sadiq Youssef? He had the only finish on the main card for one, but it was also just simply flawless. By ending the fight in 30 seconds, taking virtually no damage, and talking about possibly fighting again before the year ends. You're able to do that when you take no damage. Great night of fights. Like I said, the prelims were full of finishes. The main card was full of great fights as well. And that wraps up our review of last weekend. Let's dive into our new segment, Legendary Returns for 2023, Part 1, Realistic Legends. All right, so we are here with the new segment, Legendary Returns for 2023, Part 1, Realistic Legends. Today, we're going to be talking about three people, John Jones, Henry Cejudo, and the notorious Conor McGregor. Probably couldn't have picked any three bigger names associated with the UFC if you're familiar with the sport. Let's start off with John Jones. One of the greatest pound-for-pound fighters of all time while fighting as a light heavyweight, He sat out from fighting since February of 2020 to bulk up for a move to heavyweight. His return to the UFC is highly anticipated as there are plenty of new competitors for John Jones in the heavyweight division, including future UFC Hall of Famer Stipe Miocic and current baddest man on the planet Francis Ngannou. Holding professional record of 26-1 with one no contest, his only loss was due to an illegal elbow disqualification. He holds a plethora of UFC records in the light heavyweight division as a champion, so many that it would take several minutes to rattle them all off. So go ahead and check him out online. Give him a Google. John Jones, you can see how many records this man holds. It is simply amazing. Out of all the names we'll mention, he's the most decorated fighter of all time. One of his most impressive is that he won 14 UFC light heavyweight title fights in his career. He had the longest light heavyweight championship reign in UFC history, and he was the youngest fighter to win a UFC championship at 23 years old. He has had issues throughout his career outside of the octagon with drugs, domestic violence, various minor offenses, which has left a sour taste in the mouth of some fans. But John Jones is undeniably one of, if not the best, to ever step into the UFC octagon. I think we all thought that he would be making his heavyweight debut in 2022, but that seems unlikely, seems to have come and gone at this point. John Jones is a big money fighter, 
It's a lot of money for the UFC making a debut in a new division. The holdup has all been kind of strange. He mentioned a few weeks back that he thought he was going to be fighting before the year ended, but that seems unlikely now. So let's expect to see John Jones to fight in early 2023 against either Stipe Miocic for what I think could be an interim heavyweight title or straight to the heavyweight champ himself, Francis Ngannou. When you're as decorated of a fighter as John Jones, you get to change divisions and immediately insert yourself into a title fight. Either of those two fights would be a massive pay-per-view main event, likely rivaling a Conor McGregor pay-per-view fight with buys. The next name we're talking about today is Henry Cejudo, the King of Cringe. Henry Cejudo is one of the greatest wrestlers to ever fight in the UFC. He won an Olympic gold medal in 2008, and he was the fourth simultaneous multi-divisional champion in UFC history, holding championship belts at 135-pound bantamweight and 125-pound flyweight. He is 16-2 as a pro MMA fighter, and he last fought in May of 2020 when he defended his UFC bantamweight championship against Dominic Cruz and then followed that up by retiring in the octagon after the fight. Now, a few years later, he's talking about making a return to the UFC. He has put on some weight and muscle in his time away from the octagon, so he will likely return as a bantamweight, or he's talked about returning as a 145-pound featherweight. In May of 2022, Henry Cejudo's coach confirmed that Henry Cejudo was back in the USADA testing pool to prepare for return to fighting. USADA, U.S. anti-doping agency, they're checking fighters forward. Performance enhancers, drugs, whatever it may be, he has re-entered the pool for testing in preparation for a return to the octagon. While he was away from the octagon, Henry Cejudo was very busy coaching other UFC fighters, and he's really built up an excellent gym and set of students across many weight classes. That shows that he has stayed busy in the sport, and I would think that he makes his return in early 2023. The bantamweight division is pretty loaded up at the top right now, so I think it could be easier for him to drop in on the featherweight division, which he's referenced possibly doing at 145. That being said, he may have the credentialed history to step right into a bantamweight title shot with his return, and I'm not sure if he can do that with featherweight. I think he also knows that he can get that bantamweight title shot at any time, so I think if he returns, he'll fight at featherweight, knowing that if he could fight and beat a top five guy in featherweight right now, he will immediately get that featherweight championship title shot against the champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, who needs some fresh blood. He's beaten a lot of the top guys already, some of them multiple times, so Alexander Volkanovsky would be open to a new challenger. Now, I don't like the idea of putting him straight into a 145-pound title fight since he's not fought in that division ever before. So like I said, I would put him in there against the top five guy in a title eliminator fight, whoever is next in line, and then if Henry Cejudo wins, he gets the title shot. Simple enough, then he can cut back down and try for the bantamweight title after that, like I said, with his credentialed history and defending the bantamweight title and then just giving it back to the UFC with his retirement. I think he could get the immediate shot at the bantamweight title at any point in time. So I think he starts at 145, wins a top five fight if possible, then goes to the featherweight championship fight against current champ Alexander Volkanovsky. Not sure if he can beat the current champ or not, but Cejudo has some options. It could be very interesting. Out of the three names we mentioned to start this segment, he seems the most ready out of this group 
to fight right away. So Henry Cejudo might be the first fight we see get booked between John Jones, Cejudo, and McGregor. But we'll wait and see. Either way, I think we're still looking at early 2023. Last but certainly not least, we have the notorious Conor McGregor. You can't talk about UFC legends without talking Conor McGregor. Say what you want about his issues outside of the octagon, but no fighter has ever made nearly as much money fighting as Conor McGregor. He grew a massive fan base out of Ireland and across the world, and while he has only won one fight out of his last four fights since 2018, he's still a massive draw in the sport. Conor McGregor is 22-6 and six as a pro, and he was the first ever first ever simultaneous multi-divisional champion in UFC history when he held both the featherweight and lightweight championship belts at the same time during his peak. He also holds the record for the fastest title fight victory in UFC history with a 13-second knockout victory over MMA legend and future UFC Hall of Famer Jose Aldo. McGregor also took on all-time great boxer Floyd Mayweather, Back in 2017 in professional boxing in a massive money fight that brought in over 5.3 million pay-per-view buys. McGregor last fought Dustin Poirier twice in January and July of 2021, suffering a TKO loss followed by a doctor stoppage loss where he gruesomely broke his leg on a leg kick in the octagon. Little is known right now about whether or not Conor McGregor will truly return to the octagon. He still trains, but he also flaunts his lavish lifestyle on Instagram, traveling on his yacht with his family. He's also entering the film world with a prominent acting role in a remake of the very popular 80s film Roadhouse. One thing that seems very clear if you are following his social media is that he's bulked up a ton in his time off. I don't know if Usada's testing him or not, but he looks pretty huge compared to featherweight Conor McGregor that was must-see TV back in 2015. If Conor McGregor returns to MMA, which I do hope he does in 2023, I think that he would have to fight in welterweight at 170 pounds instead of lightweight at 155. There's some interesting fights in that weight class, but he also only wants big fights or championship fights. Seeing as he has not won a ton lately, I would love to see him face someone outside of the top five in the division to see if he can still win with the UFC's elite. Fights that I think would be potentially winnable for him stylistically and would be potential money draws would be number 7 ranked Stephen Thompson or number 9 ranked Jorge Masvidal. Stephen Thompson is a karate style stand-up fighter and Jorge Masvidal likes to strike as well. I think the Masvidal fight is the biggest money fight that Conor could have right now that is also potentially winnable. I haven't seen enough lately from him in the octagon to think that he could beat anyone else in the top 10. Another fight I do like is Rafael Dos Anjos. While RDA is ranked number 8 at lightweight, he has expressed interest in fighting at welterweight to end his career, and he's been around for a long time as well. RDA and McGregor are in a similar place in their careers, and I think that you could have a good fight with them since they almost crossed paths in the past. Conor McGregor could sell a pay-per-view entirely on his own, so I think you could put him on his own pay-per-view. Likely if he returns towards the end of 2023, like I said, he's filming a movie right now, and I don't know if he's been in the USADA testing pool during his absence. He will need to be tested for six months prior to fighting again for performance enhancers. Late 2023 if Conor McGregor returns. On the other hand, I think that you could make a massive pay-per-view fight at the end of the first quarter or beginning of the second quarter of 2023 
with both John Jones and Henry Cejudo making their returns to the Octagon at the same time. Imagine that, main event and co-main event. That pay-per-view would potentially be a top five pay-per-view of all time for the UFC. Both guys seem ready, so I think that they will both fight again by at least the end of April 2023. We'll see what happens. The UFC could easily put them both on their own pay-per-view card as well because they will sell those cards regardless. I just feel like you could really sell the narrative of the return of two former champions with John Jones and Henry Cejudo. But anyways, that wraps up this segment of the Legendary Returns for 2023, the Realistic Legends. Next week, we'll look at part two of this segment and look at Legendary Returns for 2023, Unlikely Returns. That wraps up today's podcast. As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. Please go check out our social media pages and feel free to engage with us. Go follow at the Homestyle MMA Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and at Homestyle MMA Pod on Twitter. We've had some great engagement across various social media platforms with verified fighters, verified MMA media folks, so feel free to get involved as well. Check out www.thehomestylemmapodcast.podbean.com for additional information about the podcast. We're going to keep growing, guys. We're having a fun time doing this. We have a strange ending to the year. We have some weekends off, but then we have some heavy-hitting pay-per-view cards, so continue to listen, continue to stay tuned. I'll let you know what to look out for and what to make sure you don't miss. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, like, comment, and review. Next week, we'll preview UFC Fight Night to Grasso versus Araujo and complete Legendary Returns for 2023 Part 2, Unlikely Returns. Till next time, this was Sean Van Buren on the Homestyle MMA Podcast. Have a good one.